It is episode 626 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and we're kicking off this episode with the song Squid Pro Quo. It's from the band Frog Hat from their album Meet Frog Hat. They're a surf band based out of Chicago, and you can find them at froghatsurf.bandcamp.com. Of course, they gave us permission to play their music here on the show this week. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy what I've got for you this week. By the way, my name is Derek M. Cook. I'm the writer, host, producer of this here podcast. This is the first episode of July, or as we're calling it this month, Kai July, which means we're talking about nothing but kaiju this month on the show, or at least that's the plan. And this week we are kicking things off with a bang with one of my friends, somebody who is also a podcaster and spends most of his time exclusively in the kaiju space. We're going to be talking with Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters, and we're going to be talking about the movie Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1974. It's a really fun conversation, and as we were talking, I ended up revealing a few things about myself that, honestly, I'm not overly proud of. I kind of got into some of my background and some of my um, shameful past. This sounds a lot more... uh, I don't know, dark than it really gets. But yeah, we kind of get into that a little bit. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, what that movie means to Robert, what it is now, and just have a really good time. Plus, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review, which I'm itching to get to, so let's do that right now. are now inside a flying saucer. Our destination, the planet Earth. We are the Mysterians. Our race is old, dying, our planet dead. Only you of Earth, you and your women, can give us life. And what we want, we take. Swooping down from outer space. Blowing up from the lower depths. The Mysterians. Creatures who knew the uttermost secrets of the atom before our planet was born. Love-hungry spacemen come to seize our women that their dying race may live. It started in the east. Soon it swept the west. The all-out horror of interplanetary war. See giant robots no earthly weapon can destroy rip a path of destruction across the land. See the forces of nature harnessed to the invader's will wipe entire cities from the face of the world. See the earth itself crumble beneath your feet. The Mysterians. Threatening our civilization with weapons beyond the belief of modern science. Flying ray guns that blast everything before them. An impregnable fortress that hides in the earth. Gamma rays that melt the heaviest armament. As men and machines disintegrate before your eyes. The Mysterious. What power can stop their ruthless advance? See the blazing holocaust of an earth gone mad. See on the giant screen in flaming color. The Mysterious. Warning. Godzilla versus the Thing. A shattering motion picture, not for the weak of heart. Here in all its astounding realism is a soul-shocking experience. How much terror can you stand? What was this thing of unbelievable and unequaled terror that challenged Godzilla to a battle of unhuman strength versus supernatural evil? Godzilla versus the Thing. See the War of the Giants. See the birth of the world's most terrifying monster. See 
armies of the world destroyed by the thing. The producers of Godzilla vs. the Thing issue warning to those who cannot take its full horror. To you with guts, you must see Godzilla vs. the Thing from the beginning in color scope from American International. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty ultra heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 20, The Monster is a Shooting Star in Space, original air date, August 20th, 1971. A fifth plane crash in the same location draws the attention of Monster Attack Team, but explanations are hard to come by save for the fact that a mysterious magnetic force appears to be located at the Kumazawa Dam. A landslide unearths the source of the incredible magnetism. It's Kaiju Magnodon, who seems intent on destroying the hydroelectric plant. MAT's first effort at stopping Magnodon appears to be a success as they blow the monster to bits with conventional bombs. But a rainstorm revives Magnodon's members and they reassemble. Their second approach is also a failure and, moreover, it lands Go in the hospital. Their inability to eliminate Magnodon draws the ire of Defense Force Top Brass, who inform Captain Kato that they have one day to solve the issue, her face being disbanded. The captain visits Go in the hospital, but it's a remark made by Jiro that gives him one last technique to try against the monster. MAT swings into action, while Aki begs Go not to follow suit. However, Go, bound by duty and respect for his team, rouses himself and rushes to the scene. As it turns out, he's just in time to see Magnodon's final rampage begin, meaning transformation into Ultraman is his only option. But how can he hope to defeat an enemy able to harness the Earth's own magnetic power? The monster is a shooting star in space offers a solid story, a memorable monster in Magnodon with a rugged, dinosaurian design, and a trippy finishing fight designed for the early 70s appetite for all things interstellar. The episode does seem slightly derivative. By now, we've seen plenty of hard-to-kill kaiju, ultimatums given to MAT, Go pushing through injury and conflict with Aki to do his duty, but it's all handled competently and there are many enjoyable character moments that make this a good watch. Episode 20 is also punctuated by another appearance from genre veteran Kenji Sahara, star of large and small screen with major roles in Rodan, The Mysterians, Godzilla vs. The Thing, and Ultra Q. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting.
surpass the thrills of Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Starship Gotham, newly commissioned and ready to fight. Destination, Venus, as an anxious planet awaits the outcome between aggressor and the only defensive weapon Earth has left. Akigawa, as you can see, your daughter is in our hands. defeat the enemy on Venus, or the battle will spread to the Earth's surface with all the cataclysmic consequences of an alien war, and perhaps the ultimate destruction of mankind. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky Van Helsing. 1974 saw the release of, or the first appearance of, oh, just a really awesome kaiju. I, I guess he's still technically a kaiju creature, mecha, whatever. 
is Mechagodzilla. We're talking about Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And we're talking about Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla with Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters. Sir, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for having me again, Derek. You gave me a list of titles, uh, and this movie was on it, yeah. of ones that you wanted to talk about. We're doing kaiju films in July, at least that's the plan. And you gave me this list of titles, and I was like, you know what? We have never really talked too much about this movie on the show, for sure. I know we've never really covered it. I know we've talked about Mechagodzilla in bits and pieces over the years. Uh, Beth and I recently saw Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and talked about it either on here or on our YouTube channel, but never got into the original, the first appearance of this mecha I, a giant robot. Is it a kaiju? So Mechagodzilla generally gets considered as a kaiju, as a monster. Okay. I think specifically because even though it is a, a robot on its own, it has a consciousness, sort of. But like they, they uh, every year, Toho asks, what's everyone's favorite kaiju? And Mechagodzilla is not only always on the list, He's usually in the top five. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming Godzilla is number one. Not always, but he's usually one or two. Uh, Who beats the big G? Mothra. Wow. Regularly, yeah. Huh. Okay. If you had to list your top five, where would you put on your top? Well, Godzilla would be number one, and then Mechagodzilla. And while I love the Mothra movies, Mothra's not really one of my favorites. Wouldn't be up there. Um, I'd probably put Anguirus, Baragon, Gorosaurus to round it out. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, the dinosaur-heavy guys. Okay, okay. I'm assuming when Toho puts this out, it's specific to the Toho side of yes. things they don't allow yes. gamma or any of those which is what i was thinking if we're if we're doing that then throw gamma in at number two ahead of mecha godzilla okay i love gamma i especially love the uh the 2005 gamma movie gamma the brave for 2006 maybe uh i'm working on an essay about that for a magazine right now uh okay it's delightful it's a delightful movie that i think finds a perfect balance between classic campy camera and the harder 90s version i'm a big fan of that 90s trilogy though that that run of gamma films is top notch for me it's so good they're very good i just feel like there is such an intention intention behind the original gamma movies such a singular vision of uh, noriaki yuasa about this is a kaiju from Charlie for children that the uh, the '90s movies lose track of, and I think the Gamera the Brave finds a way to say, "Well, here you can tell a more serious story while keeping that in mind." Would you say the friend boy? We are already off topic, but would you say the original <laughs> Gamera film had that vibe? I, like the Godzilla movies, I feel like the Gamera films started less about making a monster movie for kids and more about something a little dark, not as dark as Godzilla for. You know, per se, but I feel like the first camera film's a little darker than the rest. It is darker. It is darker, and there's really interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, and the short version here is that they hired this uh, sophomore director, Noriaki Yuasa, to take it over because no one wanted to do a big effects movie at Daiei. 
And he was like, well, you know who likes these movies is children. We should make it for children. And the producers at Die were like, no, we need it for, to be a general audience movie. So there's this real push-pull within the movie at Elements Yuasa added to make it child-friendly versus what the studio explicitly wanted. And it was a big success with kids. So, but Daya wasn't looking at where the money was coming from. They were just seeing the, the ticket sold in the box office. So they said, okay, make the next camera an A picture. And they brought in a studio director, workman director, and they made a much darker, more serious movie than even the first camera. That's Gamera versus Barugan, or War of the Monsters in the AIP version. And it didn't flop, but it didn't do as well as the first camera. And theater owners were complaining to Daye that kids were who was coming to see it, and that they got bored and made a mess in the theater. So then they were like, okay, you said you were right, make it for kids. And the rest of the Showa Gamera era reflects that completely. Okay. All right. So what movie are we talking about? Yeah, I don't I lost track. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Now, I'm, this whole time I've been kind of riffing because I'm trying to think of what my top five Toho Kaiju films would be. Or not Kaiju films, like Kaiju Monsters would be. And, you know, Godzilla, I think, has to be at the top, but Rodan would be in there somewhere. And darn it, I know the movie doesn't get a lot of love, but I love me some Space Godzilla. (laughs) Oh, God, Space Godzilla. It's a great design. And I, see, I have, I think the, the Heisei Godzilla movies, the 90s Godzilla movies, they take themselves a little too seriously for the most part. In some spots, yeah. And so I think Space Godzilla was a nice change of pace on that. So I, I love that one. That's probably Maybe that's why I like it so much. I feel like that's either my favorite or Biolante. You know, the two complete opposite, uh, the silliest one and the most serious one. Yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. both do the best. Godzilla, Rodan, Space Godzilla. I like Varan the Unbelievable quite a bit, too. It's a great creature design. I like Varan a lot. So if that's my four, I guess. See, I don't know what my fifth would be. It could very well be King Caesar, because I like King Caesar a lot. So. Oh, King Caesar is great, and he's one of my favorite parts of this movie. And that's not just me trying to get us back on track. <laughs> <laughs> What's your your experience with this one? Not a lot. Uh, I was watching it with Beth yesterday, actually. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? Uh, but we were watching it, and I told her that I saw it once. I barely remembered any of it. I hadn't gone back to it. And I don't know why that was, but I did see it the one time, and then I watched it again with Beth. So I don't have a lot of experience with it. Uh, it was part of my deep dive crash course into all things Godzilla once I decided I like Godzilla movies. Uh, back in, I don't remember the, when it was, but it was during the run of Monster Kid Radio. So, I'm, you know, as I've talked about with people, long-time listeners know this, but if you're just now joining us or, or forgot, um, I did not grow up loving Godzilla movies. I did not grow up loving these movies at all. For whatever reason, 
And this is not to sound cliche or even America-centric or whatever. They felt like foreign things to me that just weren't for me, so I didn't open myself up to them. When I first discovered the classic monster movies through those Crestwood House books, yes, I read the Godzilla one and learned about Godzilla, but they just didn't speak to me the way the Frankenstein and Wolfman and Dracula and all the other ones spoke to me. They just didn't hit me the same way. So I didn't have a lot of experience with these movies until I saw a screening of Godzilla versus King Kong. Or King Kong versus God, getting mixed up. King um, Kong versus Godzilla. That's it. Yeah. Uh, hosted by Kyle Young of the Kaiju cast at the time at the Hollywood Theater. Went to go see that with Scott Morris. And he's, he was in town visiting. And that just kind of opened my eyes wide. And I realized that I had been depriving myself unnecessarily and decided it was time to get my kaiju on. And I went through and just watched all of them as, as quickly and in a row as I possibly could. And then I branched out from the Toho and did the Gamera films. Uh, and actually, one of my favorite kaiju movies of all time is The X from Outer Space, So, which yep. is not Toho or Daie. It was completely separate, uh, but, you know, I... I I love them now. During we, that we, deep dive crash course, I watched Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, and that was it. We had you on to talk about the extra matter space on Record All Monsters. We did. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that episode. I don't remember the episode number off the top of my head or when it was, but because uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I will make sure there's a link in the show notes for that if people want to go hear Robert and I talk about the extra matter space. It's interesting you... Sorry, I think I'm putting on my interviewer hat a little bit here. When I'm no, feel free, man. Do you do you feel like your uh, your uh, resistance to these movies was part of like because you're like a textbook Gen Xer in a lot of ways? Uh, very much. So. Uh, was was it uh, part of the like the general cultural consensus of Godzilla's kind of silly and you know at that time? I don't know if that was it. I I don't know. I mean, I hate to admit it, but it might have been some prejudice too. Because I was a young, dumb kid. You know, I, I'd like to think that I'm not that person anymore. But I know that growing up, I had some pretty abhorrent thoughts about the other. And... You know, some of that kind of came. Boy, we are deep diving into the the <laughs> the, the darkness of my psyche and, and my trauma and my whatever. But I, I didn't necessarily have the most culturally sensitive father. Mm-hmm. I I don't have a relationship with my dad to this day, partly because of some of those things. Yeah. But um, you know, wasn't something that I really kind of viewed as like for me or okay for me to get into as a young kid. As I got older and I was watching the monster movies for Monster Kid Radio and things like that, it just didn't occur to me to go back to that because my base was the Universal and the Hammer. Right. So I don't know if it was that they were for kids. I think I assumed Gamera was for kids because of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 treatment Mm -hmm. and my exposure to those movies through MSC3K, Gamera is full of meat, Gamera is really neat, and all of that. But as far as the Godzilla movies go, I, I just, I don't know. That's interesting. I think, again, if anyone who has heard any of our conversations on either show, they know that I'm a Godzilla head from yeah. the 
time I was a very small child to the present day. Mm-hmm. And this movie in particular, this was my first one. Mm. This was uh, the one that made a monster kid out of me, specifically. Wow, okay. Yeah, okay. I was three years old when I, I found the VHS tape for this movie at Hollywood Video, which I don't know, I thought they, I always thought they were a national chain, but apparently they were semi-regional. I don't know. Hollywood video? Yeah, we had them up here in the Pacific Northwest towards okay. the end of their run. Yeah. yeah. I always thought they were national, but I was talking with John LeMay once and he was like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> but anyway, I found the tape there and, you know, that opened up this whole world of Godzilla movies to me. And I remember when I showed it to, to my parents, they were like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of those. It's like, oh, a whole bunch, you say? And of course, you know how children... And, uh, you know, I guess adults obsess over things. So that was all I would rent from the video store for years with Godzilla movies. And I never really got over it. I think I pretended for a while in like middle and high school to be like, oh, I'm too old for that stuff. But then I'd go home and secretly watch them and, you know. <laughs> Dude, this movie has been with me since, uh, since I was a baby, essentially. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Fantastic. So Hollywood Video, and I thought about, I wanted to confirm this before I said it, their headquarters was actually up here in the Pacific Northwest, so they're based out of Oregon. Okay. Their headquarters was up here. Now, they, they've been long gone for yeah. 10 plus years at this point. When I realized I could keep collecting them, I didn't know that Godzilla movies were on DVD until our Hollywood Video was closing, and I bought up a bunch of their Godzilla movies on DVD. And so my new DVD collection started with this one and uh, Godzilla vs. Hedorah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so with this one in particular, I think I actually had seen Terror of Mechagodzilla more than probably mm-hmm. more recently for whatever reason. I had watched it again not too long ago. But yeah, this one is pretty new uh, to me in terms of... Not new, I guess, but... Um, Less exposed to me. I'm right. less exposed to it. Which is weird because I love King Caesar a lot. Like a whole yeah. he's my favorite part of um the one Godzilla movie with yeah. Oh, anyway. Final Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love him in that. He's doing like the soccer ball kick thing. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Uh, and I love the look of him and he's one of my favorite characters to play in this Godzilla kaiju game that I play on my iPad. Uh, you know, I love King Caesar, <laughs> so it was it was nice to kind of go back to him and rewatch this, and especially to watch it with Beth, who's been really having a kick watching these Godzilla movies with me. And you know, I've been sharing a lot of my stuff with her. She's been doing the same with me, you know, showing me some of her favorite movies and exposing me to some of her favorite fiction and media and things like that. And she she's about to get me into Doctor Who, which I'm I'm a little scared. Um, but God, uh, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> that's been something I could never get into. Uh, but I appreciate the people who enjoy it and their their enthusiasm for it. Beth, Beth is a huge fan. She's a Whovian. Is that what they call themselves? I believe so. Yeah, and she's threatening to get me into Doctor Who. She's, she started me on Harry Potter because I, I didn't have kids and I didn't care when those came out. And Gen X, you know, I was too old for that, you know. <laughs> and, and now all the other baggage that comes along with, with that. Uh, yeah. And the creator, not going to get into it, but... Um, 
So she had me watch one of the Harry Potter movies. Who's all right? Whatever. You know, maybe we'll watch the rest. But I'm excited about Doctor Who, but I keep teasing her. Don't we need to start from the beginning? She's yeah, Chris Eccleston. It's like, no, no, no. The beginning. The beginning. <laughs> the, the black and white stuff. <laughs> Kids. Oh, uh, so we'll see. <laughs> so, the- yeah, so I've been sharing that with her and we've been enjoying that. And, you know, Fathom Events has been showing some Godzilla movies theatrically and I've been taking her to those. They did. Two Mecha Godzilla movies. Uh, yeah. Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla and Tokyo And that's been a blast. Those were fun. They were so cool to see on the big screen, dude. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Uh, Tokyo one... SOS is probably one of my favorites of the millennium era of Godzilla films because it just, it, it basically brings everything you like about a Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla and everything you like about a Godzilla versus Mothra and just, Rams them together. Yeah. It's super cool. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of it. And it was so neat to see on the big screen. And to experience it that way with my wife, uh, just, well, I guess fiance at the time. And it was just really cool uh, to to have that shared experience. And with other people, too. The theater right. was not empty. There were a lot of fans here. <laughs> a lot of fans. So, I'm going to sit down and kind of, hang out with my wife in the living room and watch this one on an afternoon it was a little bit different, but still fun to revisit. Where did, where did you watch it? The Criterion release. So I assume you watched it uh, in Japanese then? In Japanese with subtitles. Heck yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. Uh, because again, because of my, my, my life experience with this film, if I watch it with subtitles, I have to watch it again with the dub or else it just feels incomplete. Oh, uh, Okay. You can get some great lines in the dub. The 70s Godzilla movies, when they were dubbed for release in the U.S., well, they actually weren't dubbed for release in the U.S. They were dubbed in Hong Kong by British expats for international versions. Because more people, people, more people internationally speak English than they do Japanese. So Toho would commission the, these Hong Kong dubs to go over the movie so that you could send that version to India or Russia or wherever. And they were like, oh, well, we have people who speak English. They can translate that into our native language. Okay. And so in these 70s Godzilla movies, they mostly just use the international dub, which means we get some wild pronunciations. Yeah including, and especially, Godzilla. And we have... <laughs> it's British expats in Hong Kong trying to sound American. Um, so, that's fantastic. There's a, a line in the movie that's, uh, Godzilla shouldn't be fighting with his friend Anguirus, is what they say. And it's amazing. Uh, when... They they uh, discover a piece of Mecha Godzilla at one point early in the movie, mm-hmm. and the space they take titanium. the space yeah. titanium. Yes, which when the the professor observes this is space titanium, his assistant goes, "Do you mean it's from outer space?" The space titanium. Do you mean it's from outer space? But 
all right. <laughs> There's so many things. And again, I saw this movie for the first time when I was three, so I just accepted all of this. Like, and I feel like that's pre actually pretty effective word world building in a lot of things. Don't take too much time to explain it. People are going to catch on. You know, people are going to catch on. Godzilla shouldn't, Godzilla, excuse me, shouldn't be fighting with his friend Anguirus. Okay. So now I know something's wrong too. <laughs> Godzilla and Anguirus, you know, we need to redo the movie poster for that. I was going to say Godzilla versus Anguirus for like Godzilla Raids again. <laughs> Speaking of which, Robert did the uh, cover art for this week's episode. I didn't do it this time around. Robert did it. It's awesome. I showed it to my wife. She thought that was pretty darn cool. So, But yeah, Robert did the artwork. It's awesome. But now I want that Godzilla versus Aguirus. I don't know how that's spelled. Like Godzilla, I think we can figure out. And mm -hmm. Aguirus, I, that one, it's, it's like hard to see in the subtitle, so I don't... Aguirus, the way it's spelled, the official spelling is... Anguirus, U-I-R-U-S, but it's pronounced Anguirus. So you, you, we'd have to come up with a pretty, a much more phonetic uh, spelling of it. I think if we do G-W-E-E-R-S. There we go. And then, of course, in uh, Godzilla Final Wars, they call him the Anguinus. Oh, well, we're going to call him Anguirus this time around, if that'll work. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And that, that scene, actually, that fight with Anguirus. Well, Anguirus is the first monster we see in this movie. Yeah, the very, very beginning. Uh, with And with that wonderful uh, Masuro Sato score. Oh, the music's fantastic, isn't it? Yes, it's it's terrific. I had a friend say, I can't remember who sent it to me, say this was uh, Masuro Sato in his Benny Goodman era. And uh, sent me the the Mecha Godzilla reveal scene with first the original score and then swing 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 by Benny over it and it's perfect. Uh, but the score, I remember distinctly the feeling because the way we rented movies in my family on Friday afternoons after school, we would go to the grocery store. And our Hollywood video was in the same little strip thing as the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so then we'd have 15 minutes to pick a movie because we had like milk and eggs and ice cream in the car. And so I, I found this. And when we got home, there were four kids in our family. We got home and the two younger kids, my sister and I, we flip a coin, and whoever won the coin flip got to watch their movie that night. And the older, my older sisters would do the same thing. Well, I lost. I lost the coin flip. So I didn't get to watch it that night. But I, I was really excited because this cover had Godzilla, who I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was a big old dinosaur. And then a robot version of that dinosaur. And screaming people. I'm so excited. I woke up at like 4.30 the next morning and turned on the TV and lowered the volume down to the lowest spot you could hear it. I popped the tape in and then you get those drums. And I'm like, what is going on? 
I didn't know what to expect and it just completely blew me away. That whole experience was, it, it's ingrained. It's, stuck in there quite the score we were listening like you said i was watching with beth and that music kicks in and she's kind of jamming around to it and like yep it's the 70s this is awesome the broad stroke of the story is that there is a a prophecy that an okinawan priestess has a vision that a monster is going to destroy okinawa but two other monsters are going to try and stop it and these other things need to happen for them to succeed. And no one's sure what monster is going to try and destroy Okinawa, and then Godzilla shows up. Which, if you don't know that Godzilla was a good guy, or a bad guy, when he was introduced 20 years before, because this is the 20th anniversary film. Yeah. And it's treated as such. So it's like, oh no, Godzilla is a bad guy again. Back to his roots. Something's wrong. He shouldn't be fighting his friend Anguirus. And, <laughs> you know, the f movie right before this one was Godzilla versus Megalon. Yeah. So if you're watching these in order, this is total 180 for Godzilla, where, you know, your, your protagonists go and enlist him to help. He's such a good guy at this point. They're sending up the bat signal for him. Right. And uh, so it's it's treated as the big shock, which I didn't know any of that as a kid. Uh, so this may not have had the right the same effect, but I was still like, oh no, what's going on? And then when there were two Godzillas, very confused. When we were watching it, I... I don't think Beth was confused because she she's not seeing all the Godzilla movies. We saw the two uh, Godzilla movies in the Fathom Event screenings, right? Where Godzilla is kind of the bad guy. Yeah, sort of. I mean, definitely more antagonist than or, or villain than hero in a lot of it. But um, so we're watching it, and I don't think that that really tripped any alarms or weirdness for her until the second Godzilla turned up. Right. And, and I remember we're watching, she's like, two Godzillas. I'm like, just keep watching. Double Godzilla, what does it mean? Uh, <laughs> but also, I, I, of course she, she wasn't that confused. I mean, there's a big difference between a an adult woman and a three-year-old boy. Uh, what? Yes. <laughs> True. Um. It's just, it's, it is hard for me, even today, to separate myself from three-year-old Robert sitting on top of his feet in a W, setting the stage for the knee and ankle problems of the future, <laughs> uh, from, from myself now experiencing the knee and ankle problems. Um, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm three years old again when you put this movie on. There is a glee... In an innocence, and then even for somebody who did not watch these as a kid, for whatever reason, I watch these movies and I, I feel myself getting kind of wrapped up in this instant pseudo nostalgia, even though I have no right to that nostalgia because I didn't have this experience as a kid. But I watch them and I feel that childlike wonder when I see these things. 
And I, I think I think part part of the effectiveness of these this subgenre. I think that's intentional a lot of the time. Uh the director of this one was Jun Fukuda, who was most famous in Japan for directing an action series called The Young Guy, which was kind of a tongue in cheek James Bond spoof. Okay. So they were kind of like it. James Bond action spy thrillers with jokes. And so that's what he was best known for. And you can kind of feel the Bond influence in the, the human story. Yeah. It's about two brothers trying to to stop this this prophecy with their uncle professor and his uh his assistant and the Okinawan royal family. And the bad guys are space aliens, space apes. When that happened, so when that reveal happened, I had forgotten about that. I had forgotten about that. That was one. There were a lot of this parts of this movie that I was watching with Beth. And I was like, I, I kind of forgot what happened here. I don't remember that. And when the reveal of the aliens being these, well, as Beth put it, where Godzilla's at first. <laughs> Uh, I was like, well, I completely forgot all about that. That's one of my favorite. I love that makeup. I love that it was they, wonderful. Quit, they quit talking and just start like making gorilla sounds. Uh-huh. Uh, this came out in Japan in 1974. Uh, the last Planet of the Apes movie had just been released in the U.S. I think maybe they were on the third or fourth in Japan at that time. Like It had just come over so it was a height of ape mania in japan and as a matter of fact before the ape series that they did over there yes okay yes but that was also popular because of planet of the apes being as big as it was right and i want to say that that series was done through toei who did like a common rider and the super sentai and johnny sako um, yeah, I can't confirm this, but a lot of people have speculated that the giant robot from Johnny Sacco was the main inspiration for how to design Mechagodzilla. And you really? can see, yeah, and you can see that kind of squared off uh, edges, the accordion folds on the limbs or the elbows and knees. And I don't 100% see it. But I get it. It's in the same wheelhouse. Army of the Apes or Time of the Apes was actually Subaraya. Oh, that was Subaraya. Who did they do it for? I would have to dig a little bit deeper, but I'm uh, showing Subaraya was the production company and TBS TV. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to know, Tokyo Broadcasting. So it was the same team behind Ultraman in that case. Well, there we go. <laughs> I remember when I that happened that just shocked me and I didn't have any of the cultural context that planet of the apes was even a thing. I was just like, of course it's space monkeys. There's no, <laughs> there's no other, other way. I do think in retrospect as an adult and kind of self-described expert on these kind of movies, that this is a, a very clever way of continuing the aliens use a monster to invade the Earth subplot. Yeah. Because 
it is a subplot in this. It is. It's, it's introduced as we have this prophecy, right? And it just so happens as the prophecy is unfolding, okay, it's alien invaders behind it. It's not, whereas that's, that's the problem from the jump in a lot of the earlier Toho movies where aliens are using monsters to invade. I find it so fascinating too, because when you think prophecy, you immediately, at least for me, okay, maybe not you, but for me, you start talking about prophecy, predicting something with monsters or whatever. I go to the fantasy side of things. Mm -hmm. I think something fantastical, maybe horror related, but still on the fantasy spectrum. But now we're doing alien invasions, which is a sci-fi thing. So you've got these two different genres kind of playing together. And it's one of the reasons why I like this movie. Yeah. It's at least for me, the way the fantasy prophecy, you know, ancient Okinawan fantasy prophecy thing happening. No, wait, it's aliens. It's, you know, it's, well, it's, it's science fiction. And, and I love that. I love the math. I, I do too. And you know what, Derek, I've never thought of it that way because I've just always accepted this movie as a whole. Right. Because again, at the time I saw it, but Godzilla has always kind of been on that line between fantasy and science fiction. Yeah. And so it's really nice. You see almost, there is really a big theme of duality throughout this movie. You have your protagonists are brothers mm -hmm. uh, who are from Japan and you have the, the cultural differences between mainland Japan and Okinawa, which had just recently been reacquired by the Japanese government. And it's like a tourist town. Everything's built around tourism and our, our Okinawan royal family. She's dancing for, for tourists at the beginning. Right. Uh, when she has her, her vision. So there's that setup, that duality setup. You have the duality of Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. There's so much going on. And then you can extend that thought process to Mechagodzilla and King Caesar as dual uh the two sides of what coin godzilla is this you know the odo island's legendary sea dragon or the uh victim of the atomic bomb so you you get all of this this uh dichotomy this push and pull mm-hmm Throughout the movie. And that's the episode we did on Record All Monsters about it. I try and keep my episodes around or under an hour. Th this one, like 80 minutes, because I couldn't <laughs> shut up. Uh, and I go into it in much more detail there. I also have uh, an article in Kaiju Ramen about it. It's just the it's just the essay I wrote for the Record All Monsters. I, I won't tell anybody. I, nobody will hear this. <laughs> but... There's so much of that, and I think that's part of why that movie resonates with me still to this day, because, uh, as, again, listeners to both of our shows would know, or then the listeners to your show who don't see, oh, it's the monster, it's the giant monster guy. I'm gonna wait till next week. Um, wait out. <laughs> uh, my whole bag is how. Identity and representation works with monsters. And since this film meditates so much on the duality of identity, you know, it's it's still, even in my 
analytical, uh, blowhard, pretentious self sometimes uh, a favorite. I can't not love this movie. You know, it's it's got all of those uh, elements and the, the dichotomy and and the Okinawan protector and the the conflict or the tension between the Okinawans or, or the Japanese who happen to live in Okinawa versus the rest of Japan and even like Beth was commenting on like uh, look at all those American military vehicles that we just left over there you know that all of that is simmering under the surface and that's a very real issue at the time and maybe even today with with how Japan kind of viewed the American military presence and influence and just American culture in general. So there's all that cool stuff happening. And then there's some cool monster fights. Yes. <laughs> you know? uh, when Godzilla, or is it Godzilla, first emerges, oh, we gave the spoiler warning. When Mecha Godzilla disguises Godzilla first emerges, first thing he does is just that building over there, done. I want to take it out. No, there's no explanation. There's no warning. There's no somebody in that building looked at Godzilla funny and said, bring it on. It was just Godzilla found a building. I'm going to break that one. He literally walks over to a building, makes a mean face at it, and punches down through the roof. And it's <laughs> wonderful. It's just awesome. And the the suit actors, and I guess this is the first one of the Godzilla films where the suit actors were actually credited as more than just, hey, they're in the movie. You know, they actually got credited as being the suit actors. They really put some great body language into this. Uh, the Godzilla doing the, the, the martial arts posing and all that. The, yes, like twisting you know, his hands. And, oh, man. And, and or Mecha Godzilla, I guess, has Godzilla doing yeah. it too. It's like, man, uh, they're really getting into it, and I'm loving this. I'm here for it. I want to see more of that. Well, and the fight with Anguirus, which just has another thing. Godzilla, again, historically, is not a super brutal fighter. No. And when he almost immediately tries to kill Anguirus, just rips his face open. That's brutal. Yeah. Don't, what are you doing? Hey, I felt so bad. I was like, Anguirus, no. And then as he's running away after that, his roar is changed to be like warbly and injured. Yes. Like, I mean, it's kind of graphic. There are some moments in here that are pretty gruesome. And Garrus gets his jaw almost ripped open. Uh, and Godzilla takes, like, a pretty nasty neck wound and starts bleeding all over the place. Um, uh, like a sprinkler. Yeah. And I know that a lot of, like, the Japanese horror movies of, like, the 2000s, man, they're gushing blood left and right. But Godzilla's doing it, man, in the 70s. You know, you prick him just a little <laughs> bit. It's like putting your finger on the end of a hose and turning the water on and just sprays all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the final fight with King Caesar and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Which King Caesar, he's the, the guardian monster of the royal Okinawan family. And he's a golem. He, Pretty much. He, uh, he, they have to sing a five-minute song to... Uh, <laughs> get him out of, uh, to get him out of bed, uh, out of the mountain. And when it's over, like the mountain explodes <laughs> and he starts fighting Mechagodzilla and it's great. I was going to ask you about this. I don't know if you would know or not, but 
we're watching it and the song happens, you know, she sings the King Caesar song and then it sounds like it comes to an end. Oh no, second verse and then it keeps going. And it seemed like it was a bit excessive. Beth made a comment too about how it's really long. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. The Mothra movies came out and the Mothra song was so big. They're just trying to do it again and replicate. Maybe they're going to sell a record. I don't know. Do you know anything about the background of that song? Why it was so lengthy? Were they trying to pitch it as another 45 release? I don't know. Yes, they were trying to pitch it as a 45. Movie. The movie industry in Japan was actively dying at this time. And one of the ways it was staying afloat was pretty much every movie had a tie-in single. Okay. Um, and so, like, there was one in Godzilla vs. Hedora with the Give Back the Sun. Uh, there was one in Godzilla vs. Gigan with Bokura no Gojira. Uh, Jet Jaguar, of course. Oh, yeah. And so this had the King Caesar song. And at some point I found a... Uh, on YouTube, someone uploaded the audio from a 10-inch single version that on one side had the the song that is in the movie, the karaoke version, and on the back side, almost like a disco version. Oh, I want that. I can't find it anymore, but there was like more of a beat. There, there was still the orchestration, but there's a little bit of a beat. And uh, you had you had that again with the the vocal and then a karaoke version. So it was uh, that was one of the things they were trying to tie in. The one of the ways the Japanese movie industry was staying afloat was everything has a, a tie-in single. I I have to have that disco version of the King Caesar song. I'm, I'll I'll also look to see if I can find it for you. That was years ago that I saw that. It was uh, around the time I found the the Jet Jaguar single version that has the the movie version, karaoke, and the full length uh, song that has like this fantastic drum beat behind it that kicks everything on, and it's it's amazing. It sounds incredible. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it for you. But, yes. And uh, King Caesar fights Mechagodzilla by himself for a while, and the movie has been ambiguous about if Godzilla survived his first encounter with Mechagodzilla up to this point. At least in the English version. Because his first encounter with Mechagodzilla, he pops up out of a warehouse on the, the docks in Japan, and they they come to a uh, a uh, stalemate, uh, a beam conflict, which became a staple of the series in the the eighties and nineties. But this is the first time they do it, and so they lock beams and they just blow each other up. Mega Godzilla breaks down. Godzilla gets knocked back into the water, and there's like foam and a little bit of blood and you're not really sure what happened uh, maybe like 20 minutes later Godzilla wakes up on an island and gets struck by a bunch of lightning which is setting up how Godzilla eventually wins but yeah yeah um I had forgotten that too 
So we're watching this and Godzilla becomes an electromagnet. <laughs> what is happening? And that's another of course another, he does. Why not? <laughs> another great dub moment. Another great dub moment is the alien commander, who by the way, I think is just he's having so much fun. He's kind of he he almost seems bored through so much of it. He's just like hanging out, smoking a cigar, kind of lounging, barking orders at people. Yeah, you're 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 gonna die. Whatever, you know. <laughs> His first line in the movie is, "Damn Godzilla." Uh, <laughs> so in the dub, when this starts happening, he goes, "I see." So he's turned himself into a magnetic pole. Like, of course, the bastard. He's so nonchalant about, well, you're a scientist. You're going to face back a Godzilla for me. Uh All right. Cool. You know, (laughs) I just, I love this movie so much because of that. It's so matter of fact. And I think part of that comes from the director not wanting to do Godzilla movies anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and to be clear, he he's continued in the film industry. He just this is the oh, last yes. one he did. This is his so. last Godzilla movie. Um he did five. He did uh he did Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, Son of Godzilla, and then took a break. Godzilla versus Gigan. So then he did Godzilla versus Gigan, Godzilla versus Megalon, and this one all in a row. Yeah. Uh, I affectionately call these the the Fukuda trilogy. Is there a Japanese word there that I trilogy, right? Uh, Fukuda, the director's it, name. Jun- but there's, there's five films. Well, I call the last three. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Because he did them all, <laughs> all in a row. Sorry. No. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, those, he would keep those in for Toho, though, too. I mean, he, The War in Space, that's a Toho film, right? Yes. Yes. So um, I think that shows up. In a way, the lack of enthusiasm is turned almost entirely to a lack of the necessity of details. He's like, we don't need the details, we just need to put some awesome stuff on screen. Okay. So we get, even in the people stuff, some awesome stuff. We have the the Interpol agent. Yeah. Uh, and he does some, he has some great action scenes. He really does. And I was watching this this time and I was struck by just how interesting the human story kind of was. It, you know, well, human and alien, but the, yeah. the non-Godzilla part of it was That's just really kind of neat. And and I got to thinking, I, I know that when we watch these Godzilla movies, we're watching them for the guys in the suits breaking up models that took weeks, if not months to build. But, you know, the better ones have some pretty cool dishuman stories in them, too. And I really yes. dug this one. Well, and this this is one that I, I would watch without Godzilla in it. Um, How dare you? I know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, this one and Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, I feel like, have the stories yeah. I'm most interested in. Oyelante's uh, well, got a good one, too. Yeah that don't need they don't need Godzilla Godzilla is icing on the cake there you go I'm actually not a big fan of icing gravy he's the gravy 
he, he's the gravy on the uh, mashed potatoes of this movie. There we go. There we go. Uh, Godzilla gravy. That doesn't sound right at all, but you know. I think it sounds wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I, at a dinner party, I, I referred to gravy as the beverage of kings uh, when I was asking someone to pass it to me. And uh, <laughs> nobody laughed except the, the hostess, who at first I thought was just being polite, but she was doing one of those, like, I'm laughing so hard at this that I need to step away things. So I was like, oh, well, at least one person understood what I was doing. Everyone else just kind of... Uh, <laughs> but yes, Godzilla's the, the gravy on these mashed potatoes of this movie. And, you know, I think it's a it's a testament to Jun Fukuda as a director that a movie he's not interested in making is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and again, like, stuff he's more interested in, like The War in Space. There's still so much flair. He's a stylish and fun director. I, I dig it. I think uh, it's a fun movie. I think it's one that... Uh... You know, I was doing some research, and a lot of people, at least at the time, didn't really like this one. But I don't get that, because I, I dig it, man. I, I think there's some cool stuff in it. I think there's uh, some really interesting societal commentary on the Okinawa versus Japan. Well, you called it dichotomy. I, I'm going to go with that. I think there's some really cool human story in here, and the kaiju action is just great. I, I, I close in, in my essay about this on how the reason Godzilla wins is because it's it's all the qualities that made him a villain earlier. He's unpredictable. He's always learning. He's always changing. The same qualities that made him such a, a thorn in the side of Japan in the first few movies is why he's able to beat Mechagodzilla. Who can act a little on his own, but needs to be programmed and controlled. That unpredictability. Mechagodzilla cannot turn himself into a magnetic pole. Although it would make sense if he could. I mean, it's Mechagodzilla. That makes more sense than Godzilla doing it, but okay. Well, but Godzilla did it. Yeah. Some, I mean, I just love this stuff, man. I could talk about this stuff for hours and hours and hours, and we probably would if I wasn't trying to be cognizant of the fact that I have to edit this later. <laughs> make us both sound like what we know that we know what we're talking about mm -hmm. um when we finally get to the, the final confrontation at the end it doesn't go as long as i i would have liked i, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more yes but i do love that fakoda fakuda ah, june i do like the direct the director He's always cognizant of making sure that all three kaiju are getting their shot, getting their yeah. shine. Yes. There are a couple of times, too, when Godzilla's over on the far right of the screen, Mechagodzilla's not dead center, but maybe a little left of center, and in the far background is King Caesar getting ready to do something. <laughs> and he's always striving to make sure that all three are on screen, yeah. getting their shot, getting their stuff in. And I appreciate that because it lets... Caesar in particular, who doesn't have any history prior to this movie, I don't no. think. Nope. Uh, an opportunity to kind of do his thing and, and do what he needs to do. And we don't see him again until Final Wars. Right. And he gets a lot of room to shine uh, yeah. in this movie. Like I said, the the final fight, he's got a good 
couple of minutes where he is uh, fighting alone, and you get to see some cool stuff with him. Yeah. Um, the the effects director on this was Teruyoshi Nakano, who had taken over from Subaraya uh, after he passed away. And he was so good at making things blow up. And he really shows that off here in this final fight with all of Mechagodzilla's missiles. Yes. Uh, oh, so good. Toe missiles, knee missiles, finger missiles, eye lasers, uh, nostril missiles. My sisters used to call the, the eye lasers rainbow boogers. Uh, <laughs> all right. And I would always say, no, they're coming from his eyes. The missiles come from his nose. If anything, they're booger rockets. They're like, no, rainbow boogers. Uh, but th this is my guy. This is my Godzilla. This is my Godzilla movie. Well, I'm glad I picked this one off the big list that you gave me then, because you gave me quite a few to choose from. I did. I gave you, uh, which any of those ones that I gave you, I could I could talk about and say similar things, but this is it. I think when you picked this one, I sent you a picture of some of the Mechagodzilla 74 stuff that I just had laying around. Because uh, of course you do. Because of course I did. There's more. There's so, I, if I dug, I could probably keep you here for an, another hour. But to me, this is the perfect Godzilla movie. This is what it's about. You get some of the serious, thoughtful stuff if you look at it a little too long and hard. But you're mostly just having a great time. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. It's it's hard to be uh, bored in this one. Mm -hmm. Except for the King Caesar song that does go a little long. Uh, and, and I think that's fair to say. Yeah. It does run a little long. But overall, I think it's, it's a solid film. I had a blast watching it. Uh, I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to go back and watch it. I actually see King Caesar in his original action doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's one of those things I talk about the human story. You brought that up too. Uh, the human story in this, the non-kaiju part of this is super solid. And I think like with zombie movies, the best zombie movies, the best kaiju movies aren't about the kaiju or the zombies. It's about the people dealing with or interacting around the zombie or the kaiju threat. And right. You know, I, I, I said that a lot when I was doing Me Older Zombie, my zombie movie podcast, that the better zombie movies, you know, you could have the coolest zombie kills or the zombie effects or whatever, but if your human story is weak, I don't care, and no, I don't think people will right. care. But, well, and, and I think that applies to the best Godzilla movies, too. Part of the reason why the first Godzilla movie is such a classic is the human tragedy of it all. And the human tells, yeah. Very compelling story. Monsters should never just be monsters. Right. And the best ones rarely ever are. I think with the, the Godzilla movies in particular, part of what's so appealing about it is we have this evolution from villain to hero of the monster character. I talk a lot about, you know, in kind of mythology, folklore, when you have folk heroes, the way you tell that story is not, well, one day... Hercules was walking along the road and he saw this guy with his cart stuck in the dirt. Mm -hmm. You say, this guy had his cart stuck in the dirt and he couldn't move it. And then Hercules shows up, right? You have to set the stakes because when you have 
the zombie or the monster at the beginning, if you don't care about the person being affected by that, it doesn't mean anything when the, the unusual element arrives. Exactly. So it's just, it's a, you're not wrong, man. No, it's you're, one of you're the, absolutely right. one of the oldest conventions in storytelling is the hero or the, the hook has to just be, uh, the gravy. And I think this one's got some pretty good gravy as well as a, a good main course. And yeah. you know what? I, I've been wondering how I was going to place this with the Kaiju Lai coverage that Kaiju month that we're doing on Monster Kid Radio. We're going to kick things off with this one. This is going to okay. be the first one we do. I think it's a worthy movie to talk about. It'll be episode 626 for those of you keeping score at home. But I think this is a good one to kind of kick off our, our Kaiju discussion with. Later this month, we're going to do some lighthearted kaiju talk as well, I'm sure. But this one's got more than that going for it. And I'm super glad we had a chance to watch it, you know, to talk about it. I'm glad I had a chance to watch it with Beth and kind of show her some 70s kaiju, which I don't think I've done yet. Everything's been the newer stuff through Fathom Events, whether it's, you know, the two Godzilla movies from that era or uh, like Shin Ultraman, things like that. Mm-hmm. Were y'all able to go see Mothra when they did that one? I didn't see it through Fathom Events, but the Hollywood Theater showed it. Oh, okay. And Kyle introduced it, and uh, we did talk about that on the show. Uh, my One of my best friends, and uh, former film school uh, buddy, <laughs> uh, Matt Rashley, and a couple of his kids also went to go see the movie and uh, had him on to talk a little bit about it, too. Uh, Matt is somebody that... Uh, People will be hearing more from in the future, I think. Um, he's done a lot more active on Facebook and the Monster Radio Facebook groups, talking about his journey through various Mr. Big movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, he's my filmmaking partner, or one of them. That's great. But yeah, we did get to see the original Mothra at the Hollywood, and that was a lot of fun as well. And I really want to make some like welcome to New Kirk postcards. <laughs> <laughs> I heart New Kirk. That's right. Uh, that's, right. <laughs> that's such a beautiful movie. Uh, I love fairy tales. That's my other big, big love: fairy tales and folklore. When you can mix it all up, man, some fairy tales, some some kaiju fun. Oh man, I'm in. Perfect. Sign me up. I, I want to reiterate something that I said at the very beginning of this before we wrap up, and and I hope it doesn't come across as me trying to justify anything or anything like that, but. Younger Derek did have some some racial prejudices, and I, I'm not a, ashamed to talk about it now. I'm ashamed that I did have that. And that really kept me away from some amazing cultural media and ideas and friends and friendships. I'm glad I'm not that person anymore, and I've grown quite a bit. Uh, but I, I just want to kind of reiterate that uh, I'm not that person. I don't think anybody thinks that I am. But I've never really talked openly about that here on Monster Kid Radio, so just want to kind of say that and uh, hope people forgive young Derek for being a jerk. So, well, not to bring things down, but I I can speak on behalf of all Mexican Americans. Uh, <laughs> I'm not uh, that you're you're off the hook for now. Okay, I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm a lot better, but I, I oh. grew up in. Um, a very conservative family with the father who to this day still has some racial prejudice. And like I said, I'm not in contact with him anymore. You know, I wouldn't know anything about that. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of a shameful thing to talk about, and I just wanted to kind of readdress it one more time before we wrap up. But I don't want to end on a downer, so I want to talk about what you've got coming up with Record All Monsters. So we we are gearing up for season three. Heck uh, yeah, Record All Dude. Monsters now. Um, Heck yeah. A lot of personal stuff was going on with my family uh, this past last year, and some of it's still happening now, but it's calmed down. And so to lighten my workload, I've broken up season three into two parts. Uh, first part is 11 episodes, uh, 10 episodes, and the second part's 11. And in the first half, we're going to be focusing primarily on uh, 70s King Kong mania. Ooh. So we are right. looking at Kong 76 and several of the ripoffs, including uh, Queen Kong, Ape, Mighty Peking Man, and Yeti Giant of the 20th Century. So, and Derek, you have a standing invitation. I've booked a few of them, but any of those you want to talk about, I think, I think Yeti and Kong 76 are the only ones that are booked. So if you you want to jump in on any of the others i'll uh, I'll have to let you know man that sounds like a fun time and then uh gonna take a break and see season three part two looking at the godzilla heisei movies oh nice okay uh and also expect i'm editing uh, a book version of the podcast taking the essays and quizzes of the first two seasons and putting them in a handy dandy uh book form so look for the quizzes too, huh? The quizzes as well. Yeah. So look for that soon. Oh, how cool is that, man? I don't know. Oh, super cool is what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that's super cool. It's a hypothetical, but you know. Uh, <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Thank you. That sounds really cool. I'm excited for you. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Do you uh, plan on doing an ebook release as well? Yes, I do. That's fantastic, man. Well, I'm excited. Uh, I've been listening uh, from the beginning of your podcasting journey. And, you know, of course, we've become friends since then as well. And uh, I'm super proud to have seen what you've done. And I can't wait for this next step, which I think is the books and the writing. I know you've been doing some writing for some magazines already, but I, I can't wait to see what happens next for you, man. Well, thank you, Derek. I appreciate it. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for tagging along with us and indulging me in the first week of Kaiju July. The Kaiju action will not end with this episode, however. I have a doozy of an episode planned for next week. It is the finally arriving Ultraman roundtable discussion. You hear Mark Matsky here on the show every week with the Beta Capsule Review. Well, next week, he's actually going to join me for a conversation about our favorite kaiju from the Ultraman franchise. And we're not doing it by ourselves. We're going to have Monster Kid Radio Irregular Anthony Wendell on the show as well. We're going to talk about our top three favorite kaiju from all of Ultraman Dumb. And I'd love to hear what your favorite kaiju are from the Ultraman franchise. Why don't you email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and let me know what your favorite kaiju monsters are. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 360-524-2484. Now, that is a Google voice line, which means it's got a three-minute limit. But if you have more than three minutes worth of stuff to say to me, go ahead and call back a second time, and I'll stitch the voicemails together and make it sound like one long message 
I don't mind doing that. I like editing. It's fun. You can find this information on our website as well over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. You can find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, our Patreon, our Reddit. Everything's over there. And I bring up the Patreon because we are once again going to do our special Monster Kid Radio Monster Movie Trivia Showdown Throwdown Hoedown, still need a good name for it, thing. probably the beginning of August. So stay tuned for that. And if you are going to participate, you need to be a patron over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio at the $5 level or higher. This will be a Sunday event, and I think we're going to start it around 1 p.m. Pacific sometime in August. So stay tuned for that. Again, pay attention to us over at monsterkidradio.net for all of our information and everything that's coming up here on the show. I'm super excited about Kaiju Lai. I get to play in the Kaiju waters. I haven't done that in a little while, and it's just been a lot of fun. I hope you join us for the rest of the month here on Monster Kid Radio. Until next week, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Squid Pro Quo. That is copyright 2023 Frog Hat. You can find that band over at froghatsurf.bandcamp.com. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.